This morning's sermon is titled Motives for Unity in Christ Church. I want to start with a story called Hot and Cold Potato. Uh, Now, it states, I hate you, I yelled as I ran up the stairs to my room, throwing open my dresser drawers. I pulled out a clean t-shirt and jeans, threw them in my backpack, and ran down the steps. Mom and Dad stood there, looking like they were in shock. Where are you going? Mom asked. Anywhere but here, I shouted as I ran out the door. They weren't fast enough to grab me, and I slipped away into the night. It was cold, but my hot temper warmed me, and I didn't feel it. Not at first, anyway. I hit the streets with my thumb out. Hitchhiking wasn't safe, but I didn't care. It was the only way I knew, at 14 years old, to get away from them. We moved three times in the last four years, so I was always the new kid in class, the one who didn't know what chapter we were working on or what project was due next week. I was always playing catch-up and just trying to fit in. Worse than trying to fit in at a school was trying to make new friends wherever we moved. There were cliques of popular students who had known each other since grade school. Then there were the geeks and jocks who didn't seem to interest me. I wasn't athletic and didn't excel at anything, really. Just an average high school kid looking for friends. Deep down inside, I knew my parents loved me, just like God loved me, but it wasn't enough. I slept curled up on a park bench the first night I took off. It was hard as a rock, and I was surprised to find that I wasn't alone. With my arms wrapped tightly around me for warmth, I huddled on the bench closest to the streetlight. Peeking through the half-closed eyes, I could see other homeless people just like me, only they looked like they'd been there a long, long time. Some of them looked kind of scary, with dirty beards and baggy clothes. Some pushed grocery carts filled with their entire life's treasure. I didn't sleep much that night, and when the sun rose, I washed up the parks. I washed up in the park's restroom, and I hit the road. By the end of the second day, I made my way to another city 65 miles away, where I found a halfway house for runaways. I was tired, cold, and hungry. By the time I got there, the kitchen was closed. All that was left on the table was a cold potato. I lifted it to my lips and bit into the wrinkled skin. It was crumbly and dry and stuck in my throat when I tried to swallow it. That night, I slept on a cot in a room with four other runaways. It wasn't a whole lot better than the park. The cot was hard and the blanket was scratchy, and those other kids looked like they'd been here a long, long time. I tossed and turned all night. The next day, I changed into the only clean clothes I had and was shown how to use the washer and dryer to do my own laundry. The soap is over there, Carly told me. She was one of the other four runaways in my room. Don't use too much. Just half a scoop is all you need. I wanted to ask her how long she'd been there, but she interrupted my thoughts. I've been here almost four months now, Carly said. We have rules for what you can and can't do, so you better get used to it. You can't use the laundry before 8 in the morning, and you can't watch TV after 10 o'clock at night. You have to be down at the kitchen table right at noon and 5 o'clock or you don't eat, and you have to rotate chores every week. This week, I'm on kitchen duty. I help make lunches and dinners, and I clean up afterwards so I don't go making a big mess in there. When are you going home? I asked her. I don't know, and I don't care. My parents know I'm here, but they won't come by even to talk to me. And so what? You got something to say about that? And she glared at me as she talked. 
No, I responded, but I felt sad for Carly. Her parents didn't even care. I was scared. Maybe my parents didn't care either. Three days, three days later, my dad showed up at the front door of the halfway house. I don't know how he found out I was there, but part of me was glad he did, even though I wouldn't admit it out loud. After gathering my few things, we drove home in silence. I could almost see the questions running through his head. Why did she run away from home? What was so awful that we couldn't talk about it? I could see the look on his face that he felt responsible for all my anger and sadness. I regretted shouting at my parents the night I ran away. It wasn't their fault I felt this way. I had a long time to think as we drove the many miles home and wondered why I hadn't seen all the things Dad had done for the family. He was trying to make life better for us, moving from one city to the next so he could get a better job to put food on the table. He was doing his best to put clothes on my back and shoes on my feet. It was up to me to make the best of a new school and to open up to some new classmates. Hanging my head in the halls and not talking to anyone who would even say hi wouldn't help me make friends. Maybe, maybe I could make more of an effort to reach out to others. When we finally got to home, Mom opened the front door as we walked up the stairs. I smelled a roast cooking and knew there would be a hot baked potato to go with it. As I stepped inside, she opened her warm arms wide and I fell into them. Dad was right behind me and he put his arms around both of us. Ordinarily, I'd pull away, but this time I didn't. They both realized, or they both released me a few moments later, and that's when I saw the tears in Mom's eyes. I lowered my head and blinked twice, really fast, trying to hide my own tears. I made a promise to myself not to hurt them like that again. They were doing the best they could. It was up to me to meet them halfway. I knew the changes I had to make wouldn't take place overnight, but as soon as I looked at my parents, and felt the warmth in my house, I realized that there's no place like home. The problem that we're looking at this morning is division. Division in this family led to separation. We are separated from God when we sin. That's why when we look at the fall, we just talked about this in here. It's kind of funny in our, uh, in our gathering in there. And we... Uh, and it talks about how God was with Adam and Eve, but when rebellion happened, when the fall happened, God and humanity were separated. So will we allow division in our church family? Taste how cold the cold potato was, how horrible it tasted. And then think about the warm potato that she got when she went home. Probably was salty. They had a roast. And it was good. That is what unity in the church can lead to. Being there for one another. Compared to pointing fingers at one another and judging each other for their, our, each other's sins, we must first examine ourselves. Look at the speck in our own eye before looking, or looking at the plank in our own eye before looking at the speck in someone else's eye. And just like this family, I hope that we too, if there ever is discord, that we can have grace instead of that cold, bitter taste of a cold, uncooked potato. When we live in our sin and when we live in our pride, that is what we will taste. But I hope that we can taste the goodness of a roast with hot potatoes and the goodness that is only from tasting the goodness of a relationship with Jesus Christ.
So the top problems with disunity is it is a deadly snake. Division, discord, and conflict. We have seen it noted in Philippians 1.27, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, Philippians 2, 1 to 3. Paul addresses this division problem. And to keep unity in the church, as John MacArthur said, is the most difficult thing to do in spiritual leadership. It is the most difficult thing to do if you're pastoring or leading in the church. One mind and one heart leads to unity in the church. Every time Paul writes to churches, he brings up unity. Romans 1 and 2. Or Romans, excuse me, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philippians. Disunity and discord is a constant battle. And MacArthur stated that his greatest hatred of the church is spiritual apathy. Meaning, I don't care. That's whatever. Lukewarmness. And his greatest fear is disunity. He also stated that unity in the church is not, or that unity in the church is inward, not outward. Internally compelling, not externally controlled. It is not as much verbal as it is emotional and spiritual. It is the unity of hearts, minds, and souls for the same objective. If you have a bag filled with marbles, you have a bag of marbles. What binds them together is the bag or the container. Yet if you have a magnet and you put it in metal shavings, the force causes it to be together. Which for us, that is the unity. And that force that holds together is Christ alone. Not just the container, which could, for example, be this building. Not just the container, but the inward magnity is what is important. Christ is important. He should be the main reason we are gathered here this morning. The same objective of proclaiming him to all people and proclaiming repent for the good news of Jesus Christ is what saves you. Let that grace and gratitude lead to repentance. And as good and zealous the Philippi church is, there is still the lurking danger of discord. And Paul pleads with them to do all they can to avoid this. Philippians 1.27 was where we started in this topic of unity. And our verses where we looked at the formula for unity. MacArthur broke down the why, what, and the means of unity. And today we're going to look at the why unity. Why unity? So being of the same mind. One mind. I should probably put up one. One mind. Why? Our passage states this morning... So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, we're in Philippians 2 verses 1-2, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, now Philippians 2 verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, united in Christ. 
And I'm going to give you four reasons for why unity this morning, if you want to write them down and take notes so you remember. These four reasons for why unity. Encouragement due to Christ. Comfort from his love. Sharing in the Holy Spirit. Tenderness and compassion. Encouragement due to his love. Romans 8.1 states, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So praise God for encouragement due to Christ. Our next point, comfort from his love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8 states, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our next point, sharing in the Holy Spirit. The fellowship between the believers due to the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Tenderness and compassion. We are to care for one another and have deep sympathy for one another. Colossians 3.12 states, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now we're going to look at motives for unity from Philippians 2 verse 1. Once again, encouragement due to Christ, comfort from his love, sharing in the spirit, Tenderness and compassion. Now we're going to break these more. We're going to break them down more. Encouragement to Christ. Motive number one. Come alongside and help someone. Encourage, counsel, and be there for people. You and Christ have experienced Christ helping you in your life. If there's been a moment in your life where you have said, Oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for being with me through this suffering. You've experienced Christ helping you in your life. And due to how much that Christ has helped you, we ought to be in the same mind about him. John 17, uh, Jesus prayed that we would be as Christ is one with God. Due to what we have been given by Christ himself, Atonement for sins, forgiveness for sins. Does this Christ, does, or excuse me, does what Christ did for you, this grace that he's given for you, cause you to bend your knee in obedience? When you sin, it is not a violation of just an organization of the church. When you sin, you are violating the intimacy between you and Christ. You are abusing that relationship and you hinder your relationship with Christ. Like I said earlier, sin separates us from God. So flee from it. 
literally states in the Lord's Prayer slash Disciples Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Flee from sin. How do you do that? You ask God for the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. That's why we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. And we know the knowledge of God, which is only found in the Bible, shows us what is sin and what is not sin. And that's why we need to be eating and feasting on the Word of God every single day. So we know what is right and wrong, but we ask the Holy Spirit to carry that through in you. So you're not just hearing, oh, I know this is right and this is wrong, but I'm going to do what's wrong because, well, I'll just have forgiveness anyways. And you abuse that relationship. Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We need to be sanctified, made righteous, be holy as he is holy by asking him to work that in you. Sanctified, but we are justified by faith. We have grace Because of Christ. Amen. That is good news. Praise God. Because I tell you what. I could not do this on my own. Motive number two. Comfort from his love. Huh. What does this mean? Shouldn't we love other people? Love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as thyself. And shouldn't we love due to him first loving us when he poured out his blood to pay for our sins in 1 John 4.19? When we take communion, do we understand the importance of what we're proclaiming? That we are only saved by the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled? And that we have grace on others because of the grace he gave us? The love and grace poured out for you by Christ should cause you to bend your knee. Should cause repentance, turning from your sin and desiring God. And obedience due to the great love poured out for your eternity. And has paid the debt of your sins in full. That's some good news, people. And due to what he has done for us, we should now live as a living sacrifice from him. Romans 12.1 states, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking to the church in Rome, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So remember every day the constant grace that you are given by God. Even though we struggle with sin, granted we shall not live in sin, we are still not perfect. Once again, thank God for his grace. Does this have any weight for you? Motive number three, sharing in the Holy Spirit. So we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Same God, three forms. The Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit, so God, just a different form. The Holy Spirit wants unity. We have been baptized, I think most of us have been baptized by the Spirit into one body, being one church. And we are all temples of the Holy Spirit as stated in 1 Corinthians 6. The Spirit desires unity and is the source of unity. So how do we have unity? 
We ask the Holy Spirit for it. We have the same objective, which is to be seeking Christ and proclaiming him to all people. We are powered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ to all. Remember, our whole series on Acts was the Holy Spirit arriving and working in people's hearts, changing people and changing their desires. We are powered by the Holy Spirit to serve. We don't lord over people. We don't harshly judge people. But what did Christ do with his disciples? He washed their feet. He served them. Therefore, we as his followers have grace, not backing down from the truth found in scripture, but we serve. We have humility. I know it's hard, but that's why we have to ask the Holy Spirit to work that in our hearts. The Holy Spirit works in you to transform you and change your affections and what you long for. So do you long for Christ? The Holy Spirit alone produces the fruits of righteousness. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Will you disrupt that? I probably forgot some of the other ones that are mentioned in Galatians. But will you disrupt that? When you sin, you quench the Holy Spirit. When you cause division, you quench the Holy Spirit. Woe to you who would do this. Sin in your life is a violation of your relationship to God. And is an outward expression of ingratitude to Christ for what he has done for us. Woe to you. What do you prioritize? Sin or Christ? These are really tough questions we need to be asking ourselves every day. Motive number four, tenderness and compassion. These gifts are from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit longs for you to have him in your heart. 2 Peter 3.9 states, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. John MacArthur stated, God is not a cold, indifferent deity. Oh, maybe they will repent. I don't really care. That is not his mindset at all. We have a relationship with Christ, and when you sin and fall down, it's an expression of ingratitude. But I also want to encourage you, remember the prodigal son. Christ is there extending his hand to you to pick you up and for you to seek him all the more. The only way we fight sin is not by legalism or by what we do, but by faith in Christ. If God comes up to you and says, why should I let you in? Why, why, why should you be considered righteous? We need to have the humbleness to say, it is nothing I do. I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. But because of Christ, I'm saved. Amen. And that is powerful. Grace leading to obedience and repentance. Do you desire God? For what he's done for you? What do you desire? If you desire Christ, then your time ought to reflect that. So many people say, I'm, not, I'm too busy. I don't, wanna, I don't have enough time to spend any time with God. 
that I question to you, what do you prioritize? What you do and say ought to reflect that. Your, your words should lead to actions. And if, you desire, if your desire is anything else in your life, it's going to show that. If you desire anything more than Christ, that is an idol. And the next thing I'm going to talk about is compassion. The tender mercies of God. Can you believe that even though God is so holy, meaning he is without sin, and that's why we need to fear him, he's the creator of everything, he's that powerful. Yet even though he's without sin, and we have sinned, he gives us grace. He pours out way more to us, he pours out way more grace to us than we have ever deserved. That's good news. Yet, he gives us grace. And anything we do that is good for God is the product of the grace of God taking root in your heart and the spirit working in you. If you are dividing the church, you are going against what Christ wants, what the spirit wants, and what he wants for the church. Woe to you. So why should we be united Because the Lord longs for it. Will you go against what God wants? (laughs) Good luck. I don't believe in luck, but. Paul goes on to tell the Philippian church for his joy to be complete by being of the same mind. We're getting ready to wrap up soon. Being, so stay with me. He tells the Philippian church for his joy to be complete by being of the same mind. Hebrews 13, 17. Jesus wants unity. The Spirit wants unity. We should want unity. Pastors should want unity. Elders should want unity. This is a plea by God, the Holy Spirit, and leaders of the church. This should be our plea. And I want this for us as a church as well. And if you disagree with what the Scripture says, then you are are wrong. The truth and the authority is in the word of God, not your opinions or your feelings. Verse 2, Paul said, make my joy complete by having the same mind. Not lording it over one another harshly and being quick tempered. But instead, if we are in leadership roles, we serve one another the, the way that Christ has served the church. Sacrificial love. He died for us. This should be our mindset. All on Christ. All on the Word of God, the Bible, that is all about Christ. Like-minded. And here are some supporting verses for my claims. Romans 12, 16 states, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 13, 11 states, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort from one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And so like the Apostle Paul, I want us all to be united for Christ. All with the same objective. Faith, trusting in Christ, leading to repentance and obedience, 
proclaiming him to all with how we live in our lives. So my question to you is, what do you long for? What do you live for? If we are not bearing fruit to the spirit, are you even seeking Christ? How can Jesus be your Lord and Savior if you don't know him? How can you know Christ if you're not reading the scriptures or hearing the scriptures being fed to you? I encourage you, if you are trying to know who Christ is, start in one of the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And just read it. Read it. Whether it be, I would advise starting in an ESV or maybe the New King James. The King James is a little older English. It might be a little bit more hard to understand. It's still accurate. But I would advise starting in an ESV translation or a New King James translation. Start there. Read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And just look at who Christ is. The entire Bible is all about God the Father redeeming his creation through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Praise God for this good news. And these four motives that Paul gave us should drive us to seek Christ all the more to fight against division in Jesus' church. Jesus Christ alone is the head of this church. Not an elder, not myself, not a deacon or a pastor or whoever, but Christ. So let's replicate him to each other and all people. I'm going to ask you again, what do you long for? The flesh or the spirit? For unity, or excuse me, are we looking for unity or division? To close, I want to remind you of our four motives for unity we looked at. In our passage this morning from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 2. These four motives, encouragement to Christ, or encouragement due to Christ, I'm sorry. Encouragement due to Christ, comfort from his love, sharing in the Holy Spirit, and tenderness and compassion. Let these motives take root in your heart and mind so they work in your everyday life. How do we maintain unity in the church? We will discuss this next week. Let's pray. Holy God, we know that there may be certain doctrine that divides. But Father, we trust in your word. The Bible has authority. Your son has authority. And we know the scriptures are literally you, God breathed. We trust in that. And so I pray for us as a people that we would be hungry for you, that we would truly desire you, that we would give our time to you, not just here in this Sunday morning, but every morning, every day, we would pray to you. We would spend time in your word and try to understand more about you and your great love, truth and grace for us. And that that love, truth and grace would lead to repentance that our gratitude for what you have done for us would not lead to ingratitude and sin, but our gratitude would lead to repentance and obedience and being made righteous. Father, I ask this for the Holy Spirit to work this in us as your church. Jesus, continue to lead us. Help us to proclaim you to all people we come into contact with. There is no greater news than Christ died for me.
I pray our lives would follow that. That we would live accordingly. And that we would be unified as one body for you. Due to your great love for us. And that we would never forget who our Lord and Savior is. And we would replicate that love to everyone. Including each other. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.